Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. How many of you were here last week when we talked about communion and talked about the blood? Yeah. Um, this, this doesn't have a ton to do with communion or the blood, but it has everything to do with what that blood paid for and what, just how worthy he is. And I usually have to get a text from Jerry L. each week saying, what do you call, what, what's the name of your sermon? I'm like, I don't know, Jesus, or I don't know how to name a sermon, but I was thinking about this, and the Lord actually gave me the title of this sermon long before he gave me the content. And he said, Sam, today you're going to talk about the sealing of our rights, the sealing of our rights. And I've just been processing a few thoughts this week that a lot of times, maybe far too often, we'll spend our time asking God for answers when what we really should be doing is just seeking God. I love answers. And we're asked, we're we're told, we're commanded to find answers how many of you know there's one capital A answer who has all of the little A answers included in him? And this has been such a miraculous time for us um, in our ministry school at Kingdom Living. And even here on Sundays, just the overflow has been just, I don't have the words for it. It's been amazing. It's been wonderful. And what I know I've been walking through, and I know what a lot of you all have been walking through, is the same thing where I, I have never been more aware that I have nothing to offer him. I can't add anything to what he's doing. There's literally nothing that he would say, hey, Sam, I need that from you that will really help me out. There's nothing that I have, not in a hopeless way, but just in the most pure way that he's literally all I have. He's all I've ever had. He's all you'll ever have. And it's this realization that I actually bring nothing to him. It's this realization that there's nothing that he needs, and yet he takes my nothing and he turns it into something precious. He takes my nothing because he desires that nothing. He desires that brokenness. And again, like he's, who said this, Kuhlman maybe, he's not looking for perfect vessels, he's looking for broken vessels. And being able to bring him the the nothing that we can add, it actually stirs his heart. It actually moves him. And last week, we talked about the power of the blood, what it encompasses, what it accomplishes, what it forgives, the wounds that it heals. And while we're not talking about the blood, tonight is one of those, I'll call it, it's a dangerous to only one, dangerous to talk about only one side of the coin topics. Because there's definitely two sides of this coin. And people will definitely take offense because they're only hearing one side tonight. And that's okay. I don't care. I, let's be dangerous tonight. If, if this is the side of truth that he's breathing on right now, then guess what we're going to talk, to talk about? There's always a risk in following the cloud. And there's always another kingdom principle, a very good, healthy, true principle that will temper us in truth. But sometimes you'll find that he hovers only over one thing and he'll keep hovering on it and over and over and over he just remains on that thing and the question to us has to be well do we move on because we covered that last week 
Or, you know, should we move on because we're done with that topic? What if he's not done with that topic? If that's where the cloud rests, then that's where we rest. And while God is a God of principles, we know how easy it can be for people to idolize principles over presence. We can't throw out principles, but presence is always first. And we're not going to be pressured at church to cover all the topics. Just get it all done. Let's plow through it. And then in two years, we'll start over from the top, make sure no one forgets it all. We're only moving where he moves. Is that okay? Yeah, I feel such a great risk. I feel this uh, overwhelming need to be careful with how I say this, to say just what he's saying, but he's just so good. He's so good. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we think, all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What this verse is telling us, and take a good look at it, is that sometimes our words and our thoughts are too low for his solutions. They're below where he's, what he's saying. They're below what he's thinking. And this is one of those tough topics that God will often operate from places that seem really unfair. And what I've found is that God is not interested in fairness. What we're going to talk about tonight is something that seems completely unfair. And it's this, ideal, this idea of yielding our rights. Our rights. And I'm talking about our Christian rights. As a believer, you have rights. And a right, I'll just give you what the internet told me, it's a power or a privilege held by someone as the result of laws, regulations, and orders. A right is legally enforceable. A right is this law, and it can be a physical law or a spiritual law that we're actually entitled to. The rights are for us. Do you understand? If you have rights, who are they for? They're for you. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but rights are self-serving. They serve you, and they'll often give us protection. So, for example, in America, we believe that there are rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are just natural given rights to us as Americans. And that they are inherent to all individuals because of the law and order that has been set up by our rulers. So thinking about rights, the Lord has just given me two thoughts all week and I can't get rid of them. So now you are going to have to deal with them and probably not be able to get rid of them. The first thought is this, is that Jesus didn't use a whole lot of his rights. Here's the second one. While love always includes rights, sometimes rights fall short of where love goes. So it's very easy for me to say, I have the right to do this. But having the right to do something is not necessarily the same thing as operating in love. I have the right to stand up and make a commotion during the service and cause disturbance and everyone gets offended. I have the right, but just because I can do that doesn't mean I should do that. Does that make sense? Love helps us sort out when to use our rights and when not to use our rights. And what we're going to see tonight is that love is actually the greater reality. That love goes beyond right. It goes past where rights end. And therefore, 
some rights get left behind because they end where love begins. It's really good. I need you to talk to me tonight because I'm, I'm feeling, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I need it. So again, God's been saying this over and over to me these past few days, that the ceiling of rights is the floor to love. The ceiling of rights is the floor to love. And rights, I guess what I'm trying to say is rights are not the purest form of love. Justice is not the purest form of love. In fact, sometimes our rights actually limit love. Sometimes our rights prohibit love. And that's not fair, but again, fairness is not God's MO. God has favorites. Did you know that? What was his favorite nation ever? Israel. Who were Jesus' favorite three guys? Peter, James, John. That's not fair. It's just he doesn't care about fairness. How many Bible stories did God show up and judge the person based on their reaction and their response to him? But you know if he would have told them a week ahead of time, like, hey, in a week I'm going to show up, prepare your heart. That sounds fair. But he didn't do that. He would just say things like, hey, because of your heart, I, you can't come with me. Because of your heart, you're going to stay here. Because of your heart, you're going to be separated from me. Listen, fairness only applies to rights. Fairness does not apply to love. Grace is really what we're talking about here. Grace is actually very unfair. And there's this paradigm that I want us to look at. It's this paradigm between rights and love. You can put a demand on your rights without putting a demand on love. You can operate in your rights without operating in love. Let me give you a biblical example. Apparently, apparently the disciples had the right to call down fire from heaven. That was actually something they had the right to do. They had been given power and authority to do such things. And when they encountered a town full of people who weren't willing to receive the message of Jesus, Jesus sent them ahead of him. He said, go start prepping the town. They came back like, hey, these people aren't interested in your message. They asked Jesus if they wanted him to operate within their right to kill those people, to call down fire. Because what did Elijah do when the prophets rejected God? He called down fire and killed them all. The disciples knew that they'd been given the right to operate on behalf of the one who sent them. And apparently that meant calling down fire in this circumstance. But when they operated or when they asked to operate within that right, they weren't applauded by Jesus because they were acting on the right. They were actually rebuked because they were told that they don't know what kind of spirit they're of. In other words, Jesus was essentially saying that their rights were causing them to operate in an opposite place from where he was stationed. And what he was saying is, he, he literally said, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In other words, in your right to do that, you would be destroying men's lives. That's over there, but I'm over here. I came to save them, not to destroy them. I need us to understand that it was their God-given right, in this case, that actually went against love. Their right fought against love. And you can act in self-righteousness and still be within your rights. And the reason is because love goes beyond rights. Rights, again, not necessarily in a bad way, but rights are self-serving, they're self-protection, they're not, they're, rights can be very good, 
But rights are not the same as love. Love cannot be contained by rights, and love cannot be contained by justice. I'm going to read a very familiar passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the, the famous love passage. And as we go through this, I want you to notice how many things about love run contrary to rights. Are you ready? Because love isn't about rights. And I want to read this slow because he's been on this, he's resting on this, and I don't want you to miss him. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. And I just want to stop right there. Patience is only needed in unjust situations. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. And listen, by definition, rights seek their own. It, love, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered. That's literally the definition of unfair. That's literally against justice in my mind. I want to count wrong suffers, wrong sufferings in my life. And I have the right to do that, I suppose. It's just not love. Love does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And this is where it gets really hard for all of us. Love bears all things. And I want love to bear a happy Christmas morning when I get all the presents, but I don't want love to bear when I get into ar an argument with somebody. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things, and then this is my least favorite of the whole passage, it endures all things. Not some things, not the easy things, not the 80% impossible things. Love endures all things. How unfair is that? Love never fails. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And when we read this, I need you to understand that this doesn't complicate love. It actually makes it so simple. It makes love so simple. It eliminates all the yeah buts and the what abouts, what about this, what about that. It eliminates all the fears about earning love. And yes, this is all wrapped up in law versus grace. But love goes beyond justice. Love goes beyond fairness. Love goes beyond your rights. And I've been startled at how many of my prayers I have found are just me wanting justice for my situation without a thought of love being involved. I want to figure out who gets what based on what they're worthy of, and I'm forgetting about how worthy he is. It's scary how often I find that I'm praying for my rights instead of for his love. Now, again, I know this is a two-sided coin, and we're taking a risk by only talking about this. God loves justice. I have been feasting for probably two weeks on the Psalms between 34 and 40, and the whole summary of those Psalms, it's just explaining how justice can only come from God, that justice actually can't come from anywhere else. We're not discounting justice. We'll talk about justice for a little while tonight, but because God is love, right? God is love. Love always comes first. Justice is underserved in this passage. 
Did you notice that? Nowhere in this passage are you like, yep, that's just. Let me rephrase that. Because Paul is focusing on the greater thing, love, justice is never mentioned. The lesser thing is not brought up when he's focused on the greater thing. The lesser thing submits to the greater thing. And that's why we're talking about love. You can take that down. Jesus, when he was on the planet, was fully God and fully man. We know that he is equal uh, one-third of the Trinity. Jesus is God. And I need to think about this idea tonight that Jesus had all the rights. Any rights that ever existed actually belonged to him first. They were his. And because of love, he laid down so many of those rights. That's not fair. That's not just. Jesus yielded his rights for the sake of love. There was a ceiling that his rights couldn't go past. And there was this point where anything past it, only love was allowed. Listen to this passage out of Philippians chapter 2. It says, do not merely look or do not merely look out for your own personal interests. And, and what that means is your personal interests are what rights demand. They're self-serving. Don't look out just for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made into the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Do you understand what this is saying? What this is saying is Jesus laid aside a lot of his rights. The rights that were his from the foundations of eternity. The rights that no one else has ever had. He actually chose to lay those out. Lay those aside. Jesus is God. Every right God had, Jesus had also. And if Jesus is God, he therefore has all the rights of God, right? He has the right to be worshipped. He has the right to be adored. He has the right to be lifted high. He has the right to judge others. He's the God of justice. He has the right to be magnified. And again, God is love. That tells me love is supreme. Love is the greatest. Love is greater than rights. Love is the greater thing. Therefore, Never, never allow ourselves to restrict love at the expense of personal rights. Never allow ourselves to restrain love at the expense of personal rights. He's a just God. He loves justice. He fights for it. He is the judge, capital J. He cares deeply for justice. He cares deeply for what is right. Because he is a God of justice... Sometimes we think that justice is his ultimate goal, but it's not. His ultimate desire is love. He owns justice, but he is love. 
what Jesus did for us is probably best categorized as unjust. What Jesus did in love went against, went against what you and I would consider justice. Again, understand, justice doesn't create love. Love creates justice. Love is the greater thing. Justice is actually birthed from love and not the other way around. Now, there are some rights that we have that we never need to waver in. So, for example, standing firm against the schemes of the enemy. We never have to question that. Is now a good time to lay hold of that right and stand firm? We don't have to worry about that. But there are other rights that you just can't avoid, that they have a ceiling. Some of your rights have ceilings that are the floor where love begins. Again, I have the right to do a lot of things, but having the right is very different from operating in love sometimes. Jesus chose to act on love that actually violated his rights. Here's another example of love going beyond rights. It's in Hebrews 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, the gospel only exists because Jesus didn't take up his own rights. The gospel only exists because Jesus said, not my will, but your will, Father. He was God in the flesh. He had all the rights. But it says, for the joy set before him, and in this ultimate act of love, he laid aside his divinity, he laid his rights aside, and Jesus yielded his rights because love was the greater thing. You can take that down. I've been so moved. Again, Psalm 34, 35, 30, all the way up through 40. I've just been reading and rereading. And Psalm 34, 5 has this phrase. I mentioned it last week. It says, they looked to him and were radiant. They looked to him and were radiant. And that word looked, it means to scan and look intently at. It means to regard with pleasure, with favor, and with care, and to behold. That word radiant that you see, it means to sparkle and become cheerful. And it comes from this word that means the sheen of a running river. It comes from a word that means to flow. It, it means like the assembling of the waters in a flowing stream. They looked at him and were radiant. To look intently, be, to behold him, to look intently upon him and to become radiant. It was their choice to look at him. It was their choice. And from this choice, this radiance began to settle upon them. This radiance, this light, it, it brings us together with him like the light on this flowing stream. And Jesus said he is the living water. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the flowing rivers that come out of us when we worship in spirit and truth. And to gaze upon him involves our whole being, our whole heart, and it causes us to flow in his love and become intertwined with him like the, the waters and streams coming together. And when his radiance settles upon us, that is when we become radiant. That's all I want. He's everything. But I have to understand that my rights can actually limit the radiance that comes upon me. Acting on my rights can actually limit his radiance 
from settling on me. There's one group in scripture that Jesus was never nice to, and they were the ones who cared the most about being right. We're going to talk about them next week a whole lot. It's the Pharisees. And listen, the Pharisees didn't offend Jesus's justice. They offended his love. What you'll find is that Jesus and the Pharisees actually believed a whole lot of the same things. And yet he never applauded them for being right. He never said, hey, great job of upholding these truths. Great job of, you know, emphasizing the the truth of Scripture. You would think he would because Jesus believed in all of those things too. Come back next week. We'll talk about that. But what I'm getting at is that so often our quest for justice is actually just rooted in self-interest. In other words, our rights, especially if we're the victim. Let me tell you, there's nobody who wants their rights enforced more than the victim. And more times than not, we'll find that we're actually in pursuit of justice instead of in pursuit of love. I'm going to read you... um, a very familiar passage. It's something we've read at reunion before. If you're in school, we've read um, this passage before. It's, I'm going to read you Psalm 103. And in my opinion, Psalm 103 is the gospel. It's literally Jesus, uh, God giving David the gospel long before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth. So I just want to read this to you guys. Go ahead and put it up there. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Do you understand? He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you angels mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, 
you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I want to I close these thoughts with uh, these questions that, again, the Lord's just been bringing to mind. The first question is, if it's not unconditional love, is it love? If it's not unconditional love, is it love? And the, the other question is the inverse of that. If it's conditional love, is it love? When we... Uh, when we add conditions to love, we're usually just operating from rights. And we've left love. We've hit the ceiling, and we're staying within our rights. But rights end where love begins. And for the past two weeks, I've been waking up in the middle of the night, just desperate for the Lord. Um, I've never ached or hurt for him so badly. And one of the only forms of solace that I can find to help with this aching is um, I, I've been just pulling up pictures of Jesus, and sometimes I stare at them for hours. And it's pictures not just of him, you know, like playing with little kids or petting lambs. Like, it's not those pictures. It's pictures of what he paid for me. It's pictures about what he's done for me. And it just wasn't fair. And I've just been like looking at these pictures and seeing his blood, his blood that was shed. I've just been laying hold of it and pleading that blood over my life, over my family, and thanking him over and over for choosing love over rights. And I just, I want to show you what loving beyond your rights looks like. Put up that picture of Jesus carrying the cross. I want you to look at that, and I just want you to start thinking about what that cost him. I want you to think about the unimaginable loss of leaving his rights behind. Think about the unbearable weight that he had to carry of the insults that were hurled to him while he's doing this. The false accusations about himself he had to hear from the people who were actually guilty of those things. He never opened his mouth. He never said a word. I thought about the lies he had to listen to as they hurled them at him. And he, just the, the burden that made him have to carry. Go to the next picture. It was for the joy set before him that he chose that. It was for joy that he allowed that crown of thorns to rip his flesh and be pried into his head. And it was for the joy set before him that he held on to that whipping post as flesh was ripped from his bones. It was for joy set before him that his stripes heal us. This is loving beyond your right. Go to the next picture. Think about how unjust it was for him to go through that. That's not his sin nailed to the cross. It's mine. It's yours. And that darkness 
that settled on mankind, literally the darkness that came upon the land and the darkness that caused the father's heart to shatter. It wasn't because his son needed punishing. It was because we needed punishing. It wasn't his son's sins that needed pardoning. It was mine. It wasn't his son's life that needed redeeming. It was mine. And it was while he was staring at the agony of his son on the cross that God chose to look away from my sin. That he chose to crown me with loving kindness and compassion, like Psalm 103 says. It's when, it's looking at this, he chose to satisfy my ears with good things while his son was tortured in agony. It was while he was looking at this that he said, I choose to have compassion on you, Sam. And listen, this removed his rightful anger towards me. Listen to how I'm saying that. It removed his rightful anger toward me. And he, he placed it on his precious lamb. And it was while he was looking at this that he chose to abound in loving kindness towards me while his son cried out in agony. This was the moment that he chose not to deal with me according to my sins. And this was the moment that he chose not to regard me according to my iniquities because his love went beyond his rights. Go to the next slide. This was the moment Jesus saw when he rejoiced and counted it all joy set before him to endure the cross. This is what he saw. This is what he knew about. This is the moment the father saw when he said, it's the only cost worthy of my son. This, it was this moment where his family and friends felt the darkness of death and pain and of loss. Go to the next slide. Think about the loss of Mary. Her perfect, innocent son was laid to rest. And in agony, she watched him die for hours for others. It's horrible enough to think about dying, him dying for my own sins or her own sins. But she watched him die for your sins too. How unjust is that? And again, go, go to the next slide. I don't care if you like the theology of these pictures. They're just beautiful to me. And that picture of, of Mary holding Jesus, as she held him and as the Father watches and as the angels weep and mourn and literally all creation cried out in agony, that was when God said, love has bought justice. Love was complete. It should have been us, but it wasn't. And this isn't meant to be a downer. This isn't meant to be a woe is me. This is, this is actually the greatest news you've ever heard. This is where all hope comes from. 
This is where all life comes from. His sacrifice ended your sacrifice. His sacrifice ended my sacrifice. When he said it's finished. What I, what I felt like the Lord saying to do is like, we're just going to sit. We're just going to sit in this. Not because it's, it's heavy. I'm not into heavy for heavy's sake. What I'm into, what I feel like the Lord is wanting is that he's asking us to stay and glorify him. I purposefully tried to make this a short sermon. Um, I just felt like this is his reward. This is his reward. And then he looks at us, he says, you're my reward. And so I'm actually going to dismiss us. This is the end of service, probably the strangest service ending I've ever done. But I just felt like him say, um, you're dismissed to get your kids. But we're going to prepare an altar of sacrifice in here. I'm not worthy to just move on because we were done with church, because baby dedications have been complete. The sermon's finished. I don't want you to, I, I, I want everyone to stay who can stay, but this is the dismissal. Don't stay in here to talk. Don't stay in here to make friends. This is a consecration moment. This is a room, a, a, a night where we're consecrating this room to him. If you're going to stay in here, I need you to stay and dwell. I need you to stay and abide. We will have some prayer ministers available. We always want to do that. Um, they'll come to the front here in just a minute. And if you feel like you need prayer for anything, come get prayer. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there isn't a better time. This is that time. I felt like for a lot of people, however, he was actually offering you his eyes. He was offering you the chance to look into his eyes and ask him questions. Ask him about his love for you. Ask him about how he laid aside his rights just for you. Ask him about what, what, is, what, what was that joy set before you that made you endure this for me? Don't miss him. Don't miss this moment. Close your eyes. I want to pray for you, and we're just going to go into a time of worship. You can stay as long or as short as you want. You don't get brownie points for staying a long time. You don't get brownie points for coming to the front, but you have to find him. You have to find him tonight. Don't let him pass you by. It says that in the one place in the Gospels, the disciples were out in the boat, and Jesus walked past them, intending to walk, intending to pass them by. But they saw him and called out, and then they had the encounter with the precious lamb. Don't let him pass you by tonight. Father, bless what you're doing here. Oh, worthy one, bless what you're doing. I proclaim that you're the alpha and the omega. You're the beginning and the end. It's so unfair what you did for us, and yet you said that's actual justice. Thank you for laying aside rights so that you could demonstrate love. Thank you for laying aside rights so that you could prove love. And so have your, night, have your, have your way tonight, God, with whatever you want to do. Our answer is yes and only yes. Come and pour out upon your children. Come and pour out upon your precious ones tonight. We glorify you, Jesus.
For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalama. Aloha.